Hey, Karen. Hey. Hey, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Happy day. We're just eating our snacks over here. Yeah. We've got chocolate cake, coffee, and Chex Mix, you guys. <laughs> it's great. It's what podcasts are made of. <laughs> it's what's fueling our podcast. Today. Absolutely. I love it. We have people that love us. I know. It's so nice. Things. People just bring us food all the time. Um, this is the Witch's Magic Murder Mystery Podcast. In case you weren't aware. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And what else? Um, um, we're stuck on a Wisconsin accent today, so if it pops out, I'm sorry. <laughs> we keep going, oh, don't you know? Don't you know? Yeah. 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 It's like Brendan Dassey, I'm making murder. Yeah. 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 Poor Brendan Dassey. Ugh. Oh, my God. The worst story. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, so what do we have today? Okay. Well, I'm going to do H.H. Holmes. I feel like... <laughs> Ugh. I'm due for a gruesome murder. Oh, man. H.H. H. Holmes is such an intense story, Him too. and his murder castle. Yes. Okay, but I have decided to tell his story and then pop information about the castle at the end. Mm. Just in case it's too gruesome for some people, but they still love to hear us. And about it. Here for because, it. <laughs> because they're nice and supportive. <laughs> uh, I mean, last week's episode had zero murder and gore in it, so... I'd we'll just like make up for it this yeah, week. Yeah, we are going to make And then my, my episode for next week is what? awful. Let's talk about yours <laughs> this okay, week. sounds good. H.H. Holmes. H.H. Holmes. Uh, he was Herman Webster Mudgett. He was born May 16th, 1861. He died May 7th, 1896. His name was Herman Mudgett? Mudgett. Webster Mudgett. Wow. So his alias was Dr. H.H. Holmes. Yeah, I would do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Herman Budget. Call me anything else. Please Thanks. don't call me Mr. Mudgett. Holmes. Like Sherlock. Yes. Bless his yes. heart. So I kind of feel like an entire generation of torture porn horror <laughs> movies is based on what he did. Like if you think about Saw and Hostel mm. and think about his situation. Situation yeah. room. <laughs> Saw does sound like him. Yeah. yeah. I don't. So, I mean, I love scary movies i like scaring myself mm-hmm. I, we do a murder podcast right but we scare ourselves to sleep right like <laughs> saw i can't handle no, I that's, that's that brand of horror movie i, I cannot, can't do no and i haven't even watched hostile i refuse no i heard enough about it that i was like mm, i probably should never see that now when i was probably too young to watch these movies my brother josh and i used to have movie nights and we would watch these movies or when my husband and I first started dating, my oldest brother, Jason, and I would just sit up and wait for him to get off third shift. And we would watch scary movies. And mm-hmm. we would just be, like, freaking out on the couch when yeah. he got home. And he'd be like, what is wrong with you all? No. No, I can't, I can't do it anymore. No. I even... The Hills Have Eyes. That's another one that, like, I've oh. never seen. But I did watch a few weeks ago, The Hills Have Eyes too. Did I tell you this? Yes. I couldn't. I was no, I can't, angry when it was I over. I can't watch those. I actually, after you told me that, I messaged my friend that I used to play the Russian roulette on Netflix with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, remember that time we watched Hills Have Eyes? Because I accidentally clicked on that one. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's horrible. I mean, so The Hills Have Eyes too was traumatic. I was like, oh. I, I can't, you know, it was terrible. So. Oh, and like the human centipede. What? All this to say. Oh. I like horror movies, but there's a brand I can't handle. And this Mr. HH Budget Holmes. is it. Mr. Budget. Let's play <laughs> Calling that from now on. Okay, so Mudgett was born <laughs> in New Hampshire. Okay. He was the son of Levi Horton Mudgett and is that Theodet? Would you say Theodet? Yeah. Price. Right. The family was descended from the first settlers in the area. 
He grew up with a really strict father, um, and he was also bullied as a child. He was born into a wealthy family, and he showed signs of high intelligence from an early age. Um, Mm. He claimed that as a child, he had been forced by other students to view and touch a human skeleton after they found out about his fear of the doctor. Where did they find a human skeleton? I really don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a lot of this, well, he finds some later, but... Mm. So these bullies had initially brought him there to scare him, but he was super fascinated in it. And he was always interested in medicine. He used to trap animals and perform surgery on them. Oh. Yes. Some of the accounts of his life suggest that he killed his childhood playmate. Really? You. Can you imagine being the bullies who were like, we're going to scare you with this skeleton. And, and it turns like, out he's super at into it. it. And he's like, oh, guys. I and love then you're it. like, oh, my God. He's, he's like, guys, I love this. <laughs> I love this for me right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ooh. Okay. So it says he was a brilliant but erratic student. Um, maybe this Same. was due to extracurricular activities, like creeping on all the animals and stuff. God. <laughs> So, before he was 21, he married Clara Lovering of New Hampshire, the daughter of a well-to-do family, and she helped to get him educated, so she pretty much paid for his college tuition. Mm -hmm. He studied in Vermont at the medical school in the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. Here, he began his lifelong preoccupation with cadavers. So, on the... Preoccupation. <laughs> yeah. I just can't focus on anything else. Yes. So, while in school, a body disappeared while being taken to the college dissecting room. He then collected insurance on said body. He established a pattern for himself who was nearly prevented from graduating when a widowed hairdresser accused him of making false promises to marry her. While he was still married? Uh-huh. What's her name? Lover? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not long after he left school in 1884, he graduated, moved to Chicago to practice pharmacy. He began to engage in several shady businesses, real <laughs> estate, and promotional deals under H.H. Holmes. So that's when it all began. Mm. The H.H. Holmes life. Okay. So his wife and child returned to New Hampshire. They didn't see him again until 10 years later when he reappeared as a fugitive. <laughs> So shortly after abandoning his wife, he arranged for her in a roundabout manner to hear that his memory had been impaired in a train wreck. This was... <laughs> like, I didn't leave you. I just had amnesia. Yeah, that was yeah. what I'm saying? Okay. I mean, it was absurd to think that he could desert his family. He had to make, like, all these ideas. This guy seems like a real winner. Yes. Okay. So while still married to her... On January 28, 1887, he married a Myrta These names. In Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> they had a daughter named Lucy. The family of three resided in an upscale Chicago sur- suburb. Um, and although he spent most of his time in the city tending to business, he filed for petition for divorce from his first wife after marrying his second. <laughs> but it never- I guess I should get rid of the first one. <laughs> yeah. But that never became final. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was also the lover of Julia Smythe, the wife of Ned Connor, who became one of his trusted associates. And so, well, associates. She later became one of his victims. He married his third wife, Georgiana Yoke, on January 9th, 1894. So the wife of his buddy became uh-huh. one of his victims. His lovers and victims. Got it. His yes. first wife lived. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Okay. And they she got away. Away from him. And he had a child. Yeah. 
with that second wife. Yeah. He, he had a lot of love interests. I wonder. I want, I don't know. I mean, he was kind of handsome. Was he? I was going to say, was he good looking? Like, I don't, yeah. I think I was getting the impression that he was. Did you know that um, somebody traced his DNA back to Meghan Markle? No. Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Yeah. I jumped on that rabbit hole the other day. <laughs> Okay, so while he was in Chicago, he came across Dr. E.S. Holton's drugstore. It was located at the corner of Wallace and 63rd Street in the neighborhood of Inglewood. I have no clue where any of these people are or places are. That's okay. Uh, Holton was suffering from cancer while his wife minded the store. Through Holmes' charm, he got a job there and manipulated her into letting him purchase the store. The agreement between the two of them was that she could still live in the upstairs apartments after her husband died. But once he died, Holmes murdered Miss Holton and told people she was visiting relatives in California. As people started asking questions as to when she would be coming back, he told them that she loved California so much she decided to live there. Wow. Yes. And I guess back then you could get away with that. Yeah. Because California was just like a whole other world, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I, it kind of still is. <laughs> also, there's no social media, so nobody's going to like... Yeah, there's it. no way to... And it takes letters, like how long yeah. to get across. Yeah, there. and maybe it didn't get to the right address. He didn't know where she moved to. Weird. Yeah. So And in, her husband died, so it's like mm-hmm. she has to leave. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. So in 1893, Chicago was given the honor of hosting the World's Fair, a cultural and social event to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Columbus's discovery of America. The event was scheduled from May to October and attracted millions of people from around the world. When Holmes heard about this fair coming to Chicago, he was like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this. Yeah, this is, I think, is what I've Uh heard of him from. So he knew there would be several visitors searching for lodging near the fair. um, And he thought there would be lots of women who he could seduce into staying at his hotel. So after being lured into the hotel, many of these out-of-town visitors would never be seen again. This makes me think of the American Horror Story. Oh, my gosh. Hotel I watched season. that not I couldn't watch it. Again, it's that brand of horror. Yeah, I couldn't watch the hotel season. It no. pissed me up. Yes. I think I got like two I was episodes just in. like, oh, yeah, what's happening? Oh, okay, go ahead. So, in thinking, you know what? I need I need a hotel to do all this in. Oh, so he, he didn't have a hotel yet. He, not yet. This was all a thought. So okay. then he just manifested it. Yes, he really did. Because he purchased a lot across from the drugstore where he built a three-story block-long castle, as it was dubbed in the neighborhood. It was opened as a hotel for the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893, and the structure was also used for commercial space. Okay. So the first floor of the castle had several stores. The two upper levels contained his office and over 100 rooms that were used as living quarters. The ground floor of the castle contained, aside from his own relocated drugstore, various shops like a jeweler jeweler and other things like that. Um, So this was like, what was this? The late 1800s? Yes. And over a lot. It's It's huge. huge. I'll show you a picture. Okay. While the upper two floors contained his personal office, it was also a maze of over a hundred windowless rooms with doorways that would open to brick walls, oddly angled hallways, stairways to nowhere, doors that could only be opened from the outside, a host of other strange and labyrinth constructions. Weird. Yes. He also repeatedly changed builders during this construction process because... He didn't want people getting skeptical and asking questions, and he didn't want the police getting involved either, mm-hmm. based on all these questions by these people. 
during the building process, he was still maintaining a home life with uh, his wife in Wilmette. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He would change owners of the castle. Like at one point, his mother-in-law was listed as owner and it was constantly changing because he didn't want people to realize him. Yeah. Attaching it to him. Um, but his wife never lived in the castle. And when they were spoke of his jealous wife who lived, they meant uh, Julia Connor, his love interest. Got it. Yeah. The one they ended up killing? Yes. Ned Connor's wife? Yes. Okay. Um, so she, aside from his childhood playmate, which people think that he may have murdered, she is one of the first women he murdered. Okay. Yes. So she would sometimes slip downstairs when she heard a female voice in the drugstore. And Holmes removed the third step on the stairs, installed an electric buzzer that would warn him of her approach. (laughs) Yes. So after doing that, he developed a singular system of alarms, which later um, attempted to fly from the castle for many of his prisoners. So he would use it or attempted to use it. as like, oh gosh, like they're coming for me. Yeah. So I'm like middle, booby traps. I'm in and the stuff. middle of a murder. I need to run. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So he does seem really smart in a way that's like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and it's terrifying. Yeah. So Mrs. Connor, her husband, and their eight-year-old child came to Chicago in 1890. The couple found employment at the drugstore, which is where her home started mm-hmm. messing around with her. Yeah. He was like, she's a good-looking lady. <laughs> So, during this period, Holmes went to Texas, where he allegedly stole a horse and met a young woman named Minnie Williams, who later um, played a really important part of his career. Minnie. Minnie. I like the name Minnie. Uh, he also met Benjamin Pitzel. It was known that they lived together for a time in 1892. Um, he Holmes also bailed Pitzel out of a jail where he was held um, on a bad check charge. So some of their longing or belongings were intermingled. Mm. Um, so they kind of just were like, hey, we do the same things, kind of. Let's yeah, get, to, let's we're both get together. Yes. Great. Okay, back to Minnie. So um, after a few months, Minnie arrived at the castle. She invited her younger sister, Anna, to join her. Anna left Texas at the end of June 1893. On July 4th, she wrote happily to her aunt that sister, brother Harry, and me would leave the next day for Europe, where Anna might remain to study art. She added, Brother Harry says you need never trouble any more about me, financially or otherwise. He and sister will see to me. Is Harry her Holmes? Or their brother. Oh. she. So Minnie is saying that she's writing to her aunt saying, you know, you probably won't hear from us for a while because, you know, everything's going to be taken care of. Yes. Got it. Mm. Um, yeah. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all mm-hmm. over again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo, uh-huh. T Y 
M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top-of-the-line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh, got a so straightener exciting. and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge NCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against the ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately Mm -hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over the wind power on this thing is intense it's wild like i turned it up i was like let's play with these buttons okay so it has three magnetic styling attachments they're all amazing you know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like oh my gosh this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's gonna be so tangled not with this one nice and it's magnetic so it's great so right now you guys our listeners can get 30 percent off their first order at timobeauty.com t-y-m-o beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to tymobeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Summer is the season of hot temperatures, outdoor adventures, and refreshing water activities. Summer is also the season of rough on your feet causing dry, cracked heels and toes. Introducing Babyfoot, the original exfoliation foot peel that contains 16 natural extracts formulated to remove dead skin cells in three easy steps. Apply the booties, relax for an hour, then wash your feet. In 14 days, you've got baby smooth skin and your feet have never been softer. Letting dead skin cells build up over time is hazardous to your foot health. Our professional-grade DIY products, like our original exfoliation foot peel, our men's foot peel, or our moisturizing mask, are some of the best foot care products on the market created with your foot health in mind. Pamper yourself with a spa day from the comfort and convenience of your own home with Babyfoot. If you want a chemical-free, easy-to-use exfoliating process from the company that created the original foot peel, it's time to treat yourself to Babyfoot. Go to babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24 and get 20% off your first order with Babyfoot. That's babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24. So crazy. So Holmes later maintained that Minnie killed her younger sister, Anna. The two girls had quarreled over Holmes's affection a week after Anna arrived. (laughs) And he claimed that Minnie had beaten Anna to death with a stool. He also added that um, they put the body in a trunk, had weighted it down with lead, had it dumped into Lake Michigan three miles offshore. This seems unlikely. It was never proved or disapproved or disproved. God. The whole thing of like, she killed her. They just, you know, they, they yeah. just wanted me. They couldn't help themselves. Like, yeah, look at me. <laughs> yeah. And then all I'm of a sudden, Herman Mudgett. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, the siblings disappear. Oh. All so, of them. Even Minnie. Anna and Minnie. Okay. All of them. Yes. Holmes got his hands on their money. Oh. They had family money. 
Um, they had property. He prepared to build a house on it on behalf of his partner, who was Ben P- Pitzel. Oh, yeah. Um, was it still in Texas? <laughs> yes. Okay. So to get a clear field in Chicago and a scapegoat in Fort Worth, he lured his castle caretaker, Pat Quinlan, to Texas and then disappeared, leading Quinlan to face his uh, creditors. So he uh, owed a bunch of people money it. and he was like, oh, I don't know. My guy's here. Yeah. He'll and handle he just disappears. Yes. Wow. Yep. He traveled the U.S. committing insurance scams with his accomplice, Ben Pitzel. Once the World's Fair had ended, um, Chicago's economy wasn't so great. So he abandoned the castle and focused on insurance scams, committing random murders along the way. During this time, he stole horses from Texas, more horses from Texas, Mm -hmm. shipped them to St. Louis, and sold them, making tons of money. (laughs) He was arrested for this situation and sent to jail. (laughs) So he wasn't arrested for the murder. I was going to say, he got caught and arrested for, like, the horse thing, but not the murder stuff. Yes. So while he was in jail, he concocted a new insurance scam with his cellmate, Marion Hedgepeth. Mm -hmm. He said he would take out an insurance policy to fake his own death, provided Hedgepeth with the money in exchange for a lawyer who could help him if any problems arose. Okay. Once Holmes was released from jail on bail, he attempted his plan. However, the insurance company was suspicious and didn't pay him out. Holmes then decided to attempt a similar plan in Philadelphia. This time, he would have Pitzel fake his own death. However, during this, Holmes actually killed Pitzel and collected money for himself. Yeah. He doesn't have any friends that he hasn't killed yet, right? I mean, he's just sort of everybody's a liability, I guess. Yeah. Great. And it's the sad thing is Pitzel had agreed to fake his own death so his wife could collect money on the policy. Um, and she was su- supposed to split that money with Holmes. But um, once in Philadelphia, Holmes was just like, nope, screw it. They didn't split any money. No. Um, so they also, like, while Pitzel was alive and they were trying to attempt this scheme, he decided that he was going to set himself up as an inventor under the name B. Perry and to be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. B. Perry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Holmes was to find an appropriate cadaver to play his role. On September 4th, 1894, a caller, thinking it's strange that the door of the little office of Callow Hill Street in Philadelphia should be locked, enlisted aid of police, and they forced the door open, found a body of a man who had been the victim of an explosion. Burns disfigured the face and left arm. Uh, there was a pipe nearby, lots of matches, broken bottle, which in- it contained some flammable fluid. I don't know. Whatever caused the explosion, yeah. I guess. Um, the coroner's physician thought the man had been dead for three days. Mm. Through decom- decomposition and fire, it made it positive. I- made a positive identification difficult. The dead man apparently was B. Perry, the tenant of the office. Who doesn't really exist. And that's really Pitzel? Uh, in his pockets were letters, presumably from his wife, through the bottom portions included the signatures. It had been torn away. They indicated that Perry had come to Philadelphia recently from St. Louis, and that his wife was still there, but expected to join him shortly. So that's oh, what so there's like a whole backstory? Yes. This is really like... Uh-huh. Well thought out. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to compliment Mr. Mudgett, but... Yeah. His body laid unclaimed in the morgue for 10 days and was buried in a potter's field. Wow. Holmes killed Pitzel. Um, some people argued that Pitzel was an alcoholic, chronic depressive, that he 
maybe committed suicide. Mm -hmm. But forensic evidence presented at Holmes' later trial that chloroform was administered. So he killed him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're not surprised. No. He went to his wife, Pitzel's wife, and convinced her to allow the three of her five children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, to stay in his custody. Oh. Uh-huh. How? Yeah, I don't know how you would convince somebody of that. The eldest daughter and baby remained with Miss Pitzel. He traveled with the children through the northern United States and into Canada. He escorted Miss Pitzel along a parallel route all while using various aliases and lying to her um, concerning her husband's death, claiming that he was in hiding in South America. Oh, so maybe that's how, because she didn't realize her husband True. was True, yeah. I wonder oh, why because, he the kids. Well, and the, yeah. Just to... Insurance. Uh, or to look better. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah, that's true. Just to look less threatening or something. Yeah. All while he was lying to her about the true whereabouts of her other children. They were often only separated by a few blocks. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. A Philadelphia detective had tracked Holmes, finding decomposed bodies of two of Pitzel's girls in Toronto. He followed Holmes to Indianapolis. There, Holmes had rented a cottage. A college. He was reported to have visited a local pharmacy to purchase drugs, which he used to kill Pitzel and to repair the shop to sharp or a repair shop to sharpen the knives he used to chop up the body before he burned it. Kill like. The son, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he found the two decomposed bodies of the yep. daughters. Yep, Nellie and Alice. Okay, yeah, and then and went then to the drugstore. Why? Yeah, stuff. Why? Why did he ask for the children if he just wanted to kill them? <sighs> yep. So in 1894, the police were tipped off by his former cellmate Hedgepeth um, when Holmes had neglected to pay him as he promised. Holmes's escapade ended when he was finally arrested in Boston on November 17th, 1894, after being tracked from where he was in Philadelphia. By the Pinkertons. Do you know who the Pinkertons are? No. They are the detectives that transported um, Lincoln when all those things were going on. They, like, discovered all this information about how people were planning on killing him in the South, and they helped get him through those trains and stuff. So is is Pinkertons their last name, or is it just That is just, like, the detective agency. agency. Isn't that so cool, though? It's super, super cool. So, after that, he was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas <laughs> because they were suspicious about everything else, but they didn't have anything to hold it's them like, on. like, yeah, the yeah. evidence is the yeah. horse theft. I get it, but ugh. Before Hedgepeth was um, transferred to a penitentiary, he was going to serve 25 years for his term. The investigators were hot on the trail of Holmes mm-hmm. because... Hedgepeth, before they transferred him, they were, you know, discussing everything with him. Like, give us all the information. Mm -hmm. He confessed to insurance fraud, denied the murder, expressed willingness to go to Philadelphia, but refused to go to Texas, where he was only wanted for the horse theft. He said that Pitzel was in South America and that the three missing children were in South America, Detroit, and England. He also offered um, his guard $500 if he would allow him to hypnotize him en route. The guard was like, no. What? <laughs> nah, buddy. No. Yeah. Weirdo. It, yeah. Miss Pitzel was not prosecuted. She had, she, I mean, she yeah, she was trying to attempt insurance fraud, but she had no clue that all this stuff was going on. Yeah. She didn't know actual murder was, and then her kids were murdered. I mean, yes. but she still has two of her kids, right? Yes. Okay. 
So then after he was arrested and all this stuff happened, search began for various other persons who had been involved with Holmes. Apparently, um, he continued to talk and detectives spent months untangling his lies, investigating certain mysterious activities of which he had intrigued them while they pursued him all over the country. So he just like was trying to create like all these webs of lies about the whole situation. It just got nasty. I can just imagine he just keeps like yes. another explanation and then another explanation. And yes. Okay. Yep. So his castle ended up catching on fire. Oh yes. So that's back in Chicago. Uh huh. Okay. Once that fire, it kind of like opened up the building for the police to actually see inside of. Oh yeah. And so then they started seeing like all these trap rooms and finding all these bodies and like all this stuff. And they're oh, like, gosh. Oh shoot. I guess I thought when he left to go to Texas or whatever, he just, he might've cleaned out the, but he didn't clean yeah. it out. He just left it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they only very verified 27. Um, although police were 27 sh- bodies. Um, although police <laughs> were sure that there were several others. Um, and there were lots of like dismembered and decomposed that they couldn't tell really how many bodies were there. I wonder who set the fire. Or if it was, was it said? didn't start the fire. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. <laughs> we can't stop. Um, so on October 28th, 1895, the first day of his trial for Pitzel's murder, he dismissed his attorneys and was like, I got this, guys. Uh, I'm going to represent when they do that. myself. It's amazing every time. And everybody was like, it's really weird how familiar he is with law. Like, he knows his stuff. But he is really smart. I mean, yes. I don't like it, but he is really smart. Yes. And so the newspapers observed that while they would be on recess, he sat in the dock and read Stephen's Digest of Laws of Evidence. And so he's just sitting there reading about it. Wow. And he's like, I can get myself out of this. I, I mean, I kind of get why he thinks he can, though, because look how long yeah. he's gotten away with I mean, all yeah. the stuff he's gotten away yeah. with. So finally, he was put on trial for Pitzel's murder and confessed. Um, he followed his conviction to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, and six attempted murders. So he confessed. That yes. was his that was his brilliant legal strategy? Yep. <laughs> and he was paid $7,500 by the Hearst Papers in exchange for his confession. Somebody gave him money to confess how to this. How is that allowed? I don't know. You think it can't be now? Yeah. There's oh, no way no, it's allowed now, right? No okay. Way. But I mean, he can't, like, he could have used that as bond. Well, it's also coercion. Like, how can you trust yeah. the yeah. confession? It seems like it would throw everything off. Yes. So he was hanged May 7th, 1896 in Philadelphia. Um, it was reported that when the executioner had finished all the preliminaries of the hanging, he asked, ready, Dr. Holmes? To which Holmes said, yes, don't bungle. The executioner did bungle, however, oh. because Holmes' neck didn't snap immediately. Ooh. He instead died slowly and painfully of strangulation over the course of 15 to 20 minutes. Good. He requested that he be buried in concrete so that no one could ever dig him up and dissect his body. As oh. though he dissected so many others. And That's the request so was granted. Weird. I would have been like, nah, bud. Yeah. You don't get that. I mean, I would have, yeah, I just wouldn't have given him the satisfaction of granting no. that. I would have been like, maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Maybe we're going to donate you to the medical to, college. Oh, to the college you graduated from. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah. So the castle was eventually remodeled as an attraction and named the Holmes Horror Castle, but it burned to the ground shortly before its opening. That shit was haunted. I was going to say, like, listen, even as much as I love true crime, yeah, that's 
the Holmes murder castle. Yes. Don't, don't do that. No, don't do <laughs> like, that. People actually died there. Don't make it a yeah. attraction. No. So I want to touch for a second on the castle. Okay, so this is the trigger warning part? Yeah. It gets gross. Um, if you can't handle it, just... Back away. We love you anyway. Come yeah, back next we'll week. we'll see you tomorrow. No, <laughs> not tomorrow. Next week. Okay, so... The castle contained nearly a hundred rooms, staircases that led nowhere, like I mentioned, blind passageways, hinged walls, false partitions, rooms with no doors, uh, stairway that led to windowless cubicle between floors, uh, yeah, chutes that dropped straight down to the cellar. Behind his apartments were various rooms labeled in contemporary newspaper sketches as five-door room, secret room, mysterious closed room. Behind this last was a dummy elevator for lowering bodies to the basement. The black closet. These are all labels that he's got on these rooms. Room of the three corpses. Sealed room all in brick. Blind room. Another secret chamber. The hanging secret chamber. And so on. Nearly 40 rooms in all were listed like this. Can you imagine if you got into that place as like back when he lived there and he was uh-huh. doing his stuff uh-huh. and you realize what's going on and you're trying to run away. You're trying to oh get my God. out and, and you're you going down like labyrinth. Black, yeah. yeah. Like and just seeing completely these labels, dark. And- another label in the rear of the house was asphyxiation chamber, no light with gas. So in that room with the note, with the gas connections, there were large purchased gas fixtures. It was apparent that um, he used to practice locking his victims in this sealed asbestos-lined room and turned on the gas. No! Yep. Right behind that room was another chute to which bodies could be dropped down to the basement. Oh. Yeah. Some of the second-story rooms were lined with iron plates. Some had false doors. Uh, airless chambers. We don't know why. He just no. had this morbid fascination. With, there's no, like... No. He wasn't getting revenge on anybody. Yep. It's just, like... Yeah. Just because he could, basically. <laughs> it says that the cellar was perhaps the most remarkable section of the building. It was fitted with operating tables, no. a crematory, pits containing quicklime and acids, surgical instruments, and various pieces resembling medieval torture racks. I wonder how many people he killed. There's got to be hundreds. I mean, especially with the World's Fair and how many people probably came mm-hmm. through that hotel. Yep. 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 God. Yep. Yep. And he got away with it for so long. Yeah. Well, and it says he sometimes destroyed the bodies of his victims completely. Yeah, with the lime and all that stuff. Yes. And And the crematorium. Yes. And you know what he would sometimes do? No. A lot of these victims were the hotel hotel guests, wives of, you know, people he had met. He would get insurance policies on all these people. He would, like, dismember their bodies, take the lime to get, like, their flesh and organs and all this stuff off. And then he would take their skeletons and sell them. Or he would sell the whole cadaver. Wow. Yeah. Some people were locked in soundproof bedrooms fitted with gas lines that permitted him to asphyxiate them at any time. Some were locked in a huge bank vault near his office. He could sit and listen to them scream. And then they would he would suffocate them since it was soundproof. All of the bodies went by secret chute to the basement. I just don't know what to... Like, what do you even say? Yeah. Like, he would craft them into skeletal models. Oh, my God. Yeah. He cremated some of the bodies, placed them in lime pits for destruction. He had two giant furnaces, pits of acid, bottles of various poisons. Ooh. God. And all of this stuff he had gained in a medical school. So he knew all, like, he knew how to do all this stuff. Like, he just, 
He picked one of the most remote rooms in the castle to perform hundreds of illegal abortions. Mm. Some of his patients died, and he would take their corpses to be processed and sold to medical schools. Wow. Yeah. So that's... That's Mr. Mudgett. Mr. Mudgett. He sounds so innocent as Mudgett. Mudgett does make him sound very, like, humble and But then make Holmes... Mr. Holmes. Well, that's why I was like, I feel like he had some sort of, um, like, low self-esteem issues. And so... Oh, yeah. You know, my whole thing is trying to figure out why people are the way they are. But I'm like... Yes. You know. He, so he changed his name to Hol- his name to Holmes to be more impressive. And he... Whatever. But yeah. look, he wasn't hideous. <sighs> he just looks like a normal businessman. He does look like a normal businessman. He doesn't, we'll look, picture he doesn't on the, look creepy. On the he doesn't look anything. No. I mean, he doesn't... Well, this castle. I kind of want him to be. I want there to be a reason. And this castle's not terrifying either. It just looks, looks like, like a normal building, a downtown building. You can't tell that there's. Like, I'm real curious if his there. parents were awful, or you know what I mean. Like, where did but this evil come like, from? Like, it, why? His dad was like a disciplinarian, but it doesn't say that like they abused him or where did all this rage come from? Yeah, or is it even rage? Was it just a sick curiosity? Like, why did he do right. this? Yeah. It all started when he poked the skeleton. <laughs> His bullies, it's those bullies. It's the bullies that forced him into it. Good lord. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you want to see pictures of, of Mr. Mudgett and his murder castle, we'll put that on the Instagram. <laughs> which you can find at Witches Magic Murder and Mystery. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, you guys, I think it's been a couple episodes since we mentioned. If you have any stories that you yes. like or that you think have never been covered or anything like that, email them to us at witchesmagicmurdermystery at gmail.com. Yes, we would love to hear them. We would love to cover them. Um, we also have been tossing around. I know we mentioned this before, but we just got distracted with our doing a live session. But if you want us to cover something weird or turn it into like drunk history, we're all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have big plans for that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, bye. Thank you.